Not only is each individual stroke and letter and word of the Old Testament Scripture breathed out by God, but all of it in its entirety is breathed out by God. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. On what basis is the Bible to be considered to be God's Word? Why the Bible only and not other religious writings throughout history? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part four of his series titled, What Your View of Scripture Says About You. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your view of Scripture really does say a lot about you. In his Sermon on the Mount, Christ commands that you believe the Scripture to be the same as he believed about the Scripture, its permanent authority, its trustworthiness, and its verbal and plenary inspiration. Therefore, the bar is set, but therein lies the challenge. If you don't fully accept all Scripture, by what authority are you basing your decision, and are there consequences for not believing? Keep that in mind as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. Can you genuinely say that the Bible is the authority on which you base your daily decisions? Really? Is it, does it frame the choices you make in your family and how you interact with your family? Does it frame how you interact on on the job? How you do your work? How hard you work? Does it frame what you do in school? Does it frame how you interact with people in your life? Listen, if it's permanent authority, then it has every right to tell me and you exactly in every detail how to live our lives. The second implication is if it has permanent authority, it is always relevant. There are people who think the Bible is irrelevant. You know, why would you spend all that time studying the Bible? I mean... Just share some stories, Tom, about what's happened in your life. Who cares? That doesn't have any permanent authority. That doesn't have any power to change people's hearts and lives. The authority rests in the Scripture, and that never changes from time to time and from place to place. In fact, what does Jesus say in Matthew 28 when he gives the great commission to the 500 disciples gathered there on the mountain in Galilee after the resurrection? What does he say to them? I want you to go where? into all the nations. (laughs) Wait a minute, Lord. Are you saying that your words will work in in Asia, In, in Africa? But there's a different context there. Now, Jesus says, I want you to go into all the nations, and I want you, after you've made disciples, and after you've baptized them, I want you to teach them what? All the things I have commanded you. My words are relevant wherever you go. And then he says, and lo, I am with you always, what? Even to the end of the age. In other words, there will never be a time when what I've said isn't relevant. In every time and in every place, what I taught you is relevant. That is permanent authority. So Jesus believed in its permanent authority. Jesus also believed in its verbal inspiration. It's verbal inspiration. Look again at verse 18. Not the smallest letter or stroke 
shall pass from the law. Now, I've used two words here in my outline that you shouldn't be frightened by, verbal inspiration. Those two words are words theologians use to explain what the Scriptures teach about themselves. In fact, what our Lord teaches here in this verse. Look at the the word inspiration. As Mike Fabares reminded us well during the Essentials Conference, it comes from the Latin Vulgate translation of 2 Timothy 3.16. The Latin word that Jerome used was inspirata. The Greek word from which we get the word inspired in that text is theonoustos. Theonoustos. It literally means God breathed. The breath of God. All scripture is breathed out by God in the sense that he spoke it. That's what it means. Scripture is the product of God's breath, just like the words I'm speaking to you right now are the product of my breath. So they are God's words. As B.B. Warfield said, to hear the Scripture is to hear God speak. You thought about it that way? To hear the Scripture is to hear God speak. They're His words. That's inspiration. What about the word verbal? The word verbal simply means that God not only is the source of the ideas or the thoughts of Scripture, but He's also the source of the very words themselves. That's verbal. The very words are God's words. God breathed out through His Spirit every single word that appeared in the original autographs, that is, in the original documents that Moses and each of the prophets wrote. That's what the church has traditionally taught for 2,000 years. I'm not alone here out on my, my own uh, ideas. There are a number of examples. Let me just give you two. Origen, one of the early church fathers, wrote it this way. Every reader of Scripture, every reader, this is how it was viewed in the, in the early church, reverentially understands that he is dealing with divine and non-human words inserted in the sacred books. Now, he wasn't saying there were human authors. He believed that and taught that. He was saying that the ultimate source for those words was not the human author, but rather God himself. They were divine and non-human words, the words themselves. I love the image that some of the early church fathers use. Hippolytus was one of them. Listen to this. Just as it is with musical instruments, so that they always have the word like the pick, in union with them, and when moved by him, the prophets announced what God willed. For they did not speak of their own power, let there be no mistake as to that, neither did they declare what pleased themselves. Think about that image for a moment. They're saying that the writers of Scripture were like a musical instrument. And the Word was a pick, and the Holy Spirit was the player. And he was strumming out the tune on them he wanted. Was the, was the instrument involved? Of course. But the one who was playing it got the music he wanted in the end. Down to the very words. That's what has been believed. But are we right to believe that? Or is that view, as some would say today, a fabrication of either the early church fathers or the reformers? The answer is, according to this text, no. That is exactly what Jesus himself believed. In fact, there were times when Jesus 
based his entire argument on a single word in the Hebrew Old Testament. You remember when we studied Mark 12, when he's arguing for the deity of the Messiah, he says, okay, I want to know, whose son is the Messiah? Is he a son of David or not? And they're sort of going back and forth with that question, and that was their answer. Yeah, he's, he's a son of David. And Jesus said, well, then why does David write, the Lord said to my Lord. He argues on the basis of the pronoun my, that the Messiah has to be greater than David and not just his descendant, not just his physical offspring. He chooses one word from the Hebrew Old Testament and argues for the deity of the Messiah. But Jesus goes even farther than that, farther than the individual words being inspired. Look at verse 18 again. Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law. Literally, listen to what the Greek text says. One Yoda, and that's normally anglicized as iota, one Yoda or one little horn, no not at all, shall pass away. One Yoda or one little horn, no not at all, shall pass away. What is he talking about? Well, the Yoda is the smallest Greek letter. Here, Jesus probably intends it to refer to the smallest Hebrew letter, Yod. It's the equivalent of our English Y, the letter Y. The Hebrew letter, Yod, looks a lot like an apostrophe in English. In fact, you can see it there. That is God's personal name, Yahweh in Hebrew. And you can see that that little thing that looks like an apostrophe that I've highlighted for you, that is a Yod. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, I didn't count on my own, but linguists tell us there are more than 66,000 of those little yodes in the Old Testament. 66,000 of them. Now, if there's 66,000, how important can one of those little apostrophe-looking letters really be? How bad could it be if you leave out one of 66,000? You know, you just picture this poor scribe sitting there day after day, copying down the scripture, and he gets to the end of a page that's taken him a week to copy because they were so careful, and he realizes back at the beginning, oh no, I left out a yoth. How bad can it be? Jesus' answer is not one of those 66,000 plus yoths will pass away. But he goes on. He uses the Greek word for stroke. Uh, Literally, it's a little horn. It's translated here, the smallest stroke. It refers to the smallest pen stroke that distinguishes one letter from another. In English, picture a capital O and then picture a capital Q. Capital O, capital Q. What distinguishes those two letters from each other when you're reading through a piece of text? That tiny little pin stroke at the bottom right-hand corner of the Q. That's it. That's the only difference. That's the kind of thing Jesus is referring to here. The same thing is true in Hebrew. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew letter for B, Baith, and you compare it to the Hebrew letter for K, Kaf, They're almost identical, except for a little protrusion in the lower right-hand corner. 
Or take the Hebrew letter for D, Daleth, and compare it to the Hebrew letter for R, Resh. And again, very, very similar, just a little corner point different. That's what Jesus is referring to. Jesus says not one of those small distinguishing marks that marks out one letter from another will pass away, that is, lose its force or become invalid. Not one. You can only imagine how many of those there are in the Old Testament. So Jesus is making a remarkable claim. He is claiming that the Old Testament Scriptures are breathed out by God, not only in their individual words, but even down to the individual letters and to the smallest strokes that distinguish one letter from another. It's the first century equivalent to our saying, not the dot of an I or the cross of a T. As R. Laird Harris in his excellent book called The Inspiration and Canonicity of Scripture writes, Jesus declared that the Scriptures were letter perfect. That's what he's saying. The Scriptures are letter perfect. You understand what Jesus is is asserting here is absolutely true? He's saying the Old Testament is God's very word breathed out by him down to the smallest Hebrew letter and even the tiniest stroke that distinguishes one letter from another. That is a a remarkable claim. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, understand that's what your Lord believed and that's what he expects you to believe as well. And for those of us who do believe it, now do you see why? We have it on the authority of our Lord Himself. And there is no authority more deserving of our confidence. There is no human authority, not myself, not some flawed human academic, not the consensus of the academic community in which I would rather put my eternal trust than the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he said and believed the Old Testament Scripture to be and ultimately affirmed the New Testament Scripture, which is eventually called that by his appointed apostles. He is our ultimate authority. So he is the foundation of our faith. There's a third attribute of Scripture he marks in this passage, and that's its plenary inspiration. It's plenary inspiration. Don't be scared of that word plenary. Again, a theological term that simply means all. It's all breathed out by God. (coughs) You remember back up in verse 17, Jesus referred to the law and the prophets, speaking of the entire Hebrew Old Testament. Notice what he says at the end of verse 18. Not the smallest letter or stroke, not one, shall pass away from the law until what? All is accomplished. Not only is each individual stroke and letter and word of the Old Testament Scripture breathed out by God, but all of it in its entirety is breathed out by God. Not even one small letter or one small stroke will pass from the law until all of it in its entirety is accomplished. In the first part of this statement, Jesus affirmed all of the parts. In the second part of this statement, Jesus affirms the whole, the entirety of the Old Testament to be the Word of God. Not just its letters and words, but all of its letters and words. John Wenham, writing in a a book compiled by Norman Geisler entitled Inerrancy, writes this, Christ held the Old Testament 
to be historically true, completely authoritative, and divinely inspired. To him, the God of the Old Testament was the living God, and the teaching of the Old Testament was the teaching of the living God. To him, what Scripture said, God said. Now, why is this important? Because we live in a day when this is being seriously questioned. I want to touch on this a little more next week. But do you understand that Jesus affirmed the Old Testament in its entirety? There's nothing you will read there that Jesus didn't affirm. In fact, just take the Gospels. Let me challenge you to do this. Read through the Gospels and look at what Jesus affirmed as historically accurate from the Old Testament narratives. Let me just give you a list, okay? Put on your seatbelt. Ready? Genesis 1 and 2 as a historical record of the creation, the creation of man, the historicity of Adam and Eve, the marriage of Adam and Eve, the fall of man in the garden, the murder of Abel, the reality of Noah and the flood, the days of Lot, the divine destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the giving of the law at Sinai, the Ten Commandments, Moses lifting up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, Jacob's giving a field to Joseph, the mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch, a famine in the days of Elijah, Naaman the Syrian being cleansed of leprosy by Elisha, the queen of Sheba coming to meet Solomon, Jonah being in the belly of a great fish, Jonah's message to Nineveh, and the people of Nineveh repenting, and the stoning of Zechariah. And that's not all of them. All those historical facts recorded in the Old Testament are confirmed by our Lord in the gospel record. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you must believe what he believed about the Old Testament. You must believe that it is breathed out by God, not only down to its letters and strokes of letters, but in its entirety, all of it. Not only in its affirmation about the way of salvation, but in its affirmation about the way the world was made. There are Christians who, in a sincere desire to synchronize the Bible with the findings of modern science, will argue that the theological statements of Scripture are true, but not necessarily the scientific and the historical facts. Folks, that is an illogical position. If one word of the Scripture is wrong, then none of it can truly be trusted. Because we have no mechanism, no, no apparatus to go through and say definitively, this is true and this is not. If one word is false, then none of it can be fully trusted. If God didn't destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone, then how do we know there is only one true God as he has said elsewhere? If Jonah was not swallowed by a great fish, then how can we be sure that God will extend his mercy to repentant Gentiles, which is the message of the book of Jonah? It all goes together. The redemptive promises and the historical facts. That's why Jesus affirmed its plenary inspiration. All of it breathed out by God. And you and I must as well. Let me ask you, what is your authority? I'm not asking theoretically. I mean really and practically. What is the authority on which you are building your life? Is your confidence in some expert or group of experts, in scientists, in a textbook you got in school, in some professor in college who can't figure out how to straighten out his own life, in some guru or some self-help expert, in the shared views of our culture? 
Or worst of all is your confidence and authority in yourself, in your own ability to discern what's true. Are you really willing to trust your own authority to stake your life and eternity on your own knowledge and your own wisdom and your own ability to sort out what's true? Do you really want to gamble your life and eternity on that authority that you have? Has it always been absolutely trustworthy? Has it always proven to be true? Listen, stop putting your trust in some unreliable authority and instead put your full trust, your full confidence in Jesus Christ because he is the only person in all of human history who has proven himself to be worthy. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus put his full trust, as we see in this text, and urged us to place our full trust in the Scripture as the breathed out words of God. He authenticated the Old Testament. He pre-authenticated the New Testament by choosing the men who would represent him to write it. If you and I refuse to believe about the Bible, what Jesus believed about the Bible, then we are saying that he was either ignorant or dishonest. He either didn't know better, or he knew better and lied about it. And we are establishing ourselves then as the authority. Jesus makes it clear that the Scripture is the ultimate word from outside this planet. You understand that? The Scripture is the only word we have from outside this planet. Jesus affirmed that reality. That means what the Bible teaches is reality. That means that every one of us is a sinner. God is a righteous creator who made us, who has every right to tell us what to do, who gave us every resource, every opportunity, and expects us to obey. And that we have chosen to go our own way, to sin against God, to make our own choices, to live our own lives, to do what we want, to pursue our sin, our lust, our own satisfaction. And that sin, as the Bible calls it, has earned us a guilty verdict before God, and a punishment of eternal wrath from God in a place called hell. That's what the Scriptures teach. But they also teach that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. He sent His Son to live a perfect life, a life that you and I could never have lived, in perfect conformity to fulfill the Scripture. And then He died, not for His own sins, but for the sins of all of those who would ever believe in Him, He paid the penalty for every sin of every person who would ever believe in him. He died and was buried. He rose again on the third day. He's now ascended into heaven. And one day the Bible says he's coming again. And the only way for you to be right with that God is for you to stop your rebellion against him, to acknowledge that to him, to humble yourself before him, and take the gift he's offered in his son by receiving his son as Lord and Savior. That's your only hope. That's the truth, according to our Lord Himself. Most of us here this morning already belong to Jesus. If you are part of His disciples, if you're part of His followers, then He demands that you believe about the Scripture what He believed about the Scripture. It's permanent authority, it's verbal inspiration, and it's plenary inspiration. So folks, the next time somebody asks you, and this happens all the time, doesn't it? The next time somebody says to you, so 
you know, you, you seem like an intelligent person. Why do you really believe the Bible to be God's word? Say this to them. I believe the Bible because Jesus of Nazareth believed the Bible and taught me I could trust it, and I believe him. So tell me, what's your authority for not believing it? Jesus believed, and we must believe, that as B.B. Warfield put it, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of What Your View of Scripture Says About You. Join us again next time for part five, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.